In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame in your righteousness. Rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ears to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the commandments to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hands of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. And that is Psalm 71, verses 1 through 4. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla. And next to me, I have actually Dr. Raphael joining me today. Hey, everyone. Hola, como están? For our listeners, Dr. Raphael is our host of Bridge Español in Spanish. Uh, so he is running that with now Eduardo Montor- Martorano, the pastor uh, over here in Laredo at Labide. So I'm super excited that uh, they are here together. So it gives me a break of being his co-host uh, in Spanish because my Spanish is not that great. But, you know, uh, uh, God put us together and we're super excited. I'm super excited that you're here. Amen. Thank um, you. Super excited with our guests today. Yeah, super excited. You know, it's been a while. Uh, guys, it has been very tough with just COVID going on, getting our guests uh, here regularly. We're really working on uh to get uh this going regularly we have a lot of super guests that are uh half committed and we're just waiting for those time frames to come in record these and get released to you um and just a uh, bridge news uh move we're almost almost there getting started with construction awesome. on the new location uh, so again, you know, for our listeners out there, our worldwide audience, man, we've been talking about this for the longest time. And in God's sovereign plan, he has, he has just put people together to give uh, people to just uh, uh, rally around bridge to get a new facility, a better, better location, bigger location. Um, and we're going to be close to uh, the university here in Laredo, which uh, we are super excited to impact the youth. Uh, so hopefully God has his people there uh, and, and they may come to, to join them. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher Radio. And please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.org. And we are now on Spotify. So please check us out there. I mean, today we have a special guest. Uh, we have uh, Reverend Root. Rudy Rubio, pastor of Reformed Church of Los Angeles. So for our California, L.A. people, uh, you're going to be super excited. I mean, his testimonial is going to be amazing. I don't even want to give away any of it. So, uh, uh, yeah, we're super excited to have him. So uh, we're going to go ahead and introduce uh, Reverend Rudy Rubio. Uh, Welcome to Bridge for the first time thanks guys thanks i didn't i didn't i didn't mean for my name to be a tongue twister for you <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know i was like wah, wah, wah. <laughs> but uh uh thanks Rev- for me on. i appreciate it uh we're super excited um you know uh uh dr Raphael got a hold of you and we got to speak uh the other day on saturday just a little uh, pre uh, uh, podcast, just interview, and I was extremely, extremely just blown away of your testimony. But uh, Reverend Ru- Rudy Rubio, can you just please uh, just uh, give us a little bit uh, of just uh, who you are, 
how God drew you to saving faith, and we'll go ahead and just uh, start in with your your testimony. Okay, how much time do you guys have? Pull up a hey. sleeping bag. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, we we got time. So I'll give you I'll give you the 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 PG thirteen version. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, my, my name is my name is Rudy Rubio. I am a pastor and a church planter. Um, not everybody knows what a church planter is, so that is basically somebody who is starting a plant a, a new church from scratch, like literally nothing, no people, no money. Some people parachute into certain neighborhoods. Um, it's our, it's hard enough already being a pastor, um, let alone being a church planter and starting something from scratch. Especially, I'm just going to keep it real. I'm not going to say like an under-resourced community or it's like we're in the hood. You know, mm. we're, we're in the hood. Um, there's way too many prosperity pushing pimps here. Wow. Churches that aren't preaching the gospel, that aren't leading people towards Christ, that are being emotionally driven and, and just, you know, that they're not healthy churches. So we want to be able to go into these communities uh, to preach, to teach the gospel. The only way to be saved is by knowing Christ. The only way to truly know Christ is through his written word, right? Amen. So that that's our that, that's that's our get down, you know. How I came to faith is is a really long story. I, I feel like God has always well actually no he he has always had his hand on me. But yeah. as I look back and reflect now, I can see the specific situations and circumstances where I'm like, how did I get through that? And they're like, duh, it's God, you know? Yeah. Um being a reformed Christian, uh, you know, and the sovereignty of God and, mm. and being able to see how all that has played out, you know, people talk about the doctrine of election and, and it's like, man, for me, it was, it was so easy to be able to connect with that. You know, I, I grew up in, in a gang from the age of 13 and all of my homeboys from that era are either, you know, the majority of them, like 95% of them are dead or in jail for the rest of their lives. Mm. So it's like, okay, I can see how and why God saved me, you know? What am I going to do with that now? So, uh, Reverend uh, Rudy, why don't we start off and just uh, we do have a, a a large listenership in California. So, uh, why don't we begin by where, what area of California you grew up in, and you know, and we'll start off there and the stuff that you were just getting involved with, you know. Yeah, nine zero two one zero Beverly Hills. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> da, na, na, na. <laughs> it wasn't Beverly Hills, and it wasn't where the Fresh Prince of Bel Air reside. You know, uh, I'm in the hood, bro. I'm in South LA, so mm. I was raised in Huntington Park, Watts, South Central. Um, I am right now serving the communities of Linwood, Compton, and Watts, which is all in the same area. Mm. Um, it, it's where you know where I was born, where I was raised. Got involved with gangs at an early age. Started going to jail. At the age of 13, you know, I was a pretty smart kid. I was like, you know, some lame fat nerd, you know, mm -hmm. they used to get picked on. Um, and, and eventually I got tired of it. You know, I got tired of it. Um, and, you know, people younger than me were beating me up and, and punking me. You know, uh, I I was drawn to the gang, you know, mom and dad were always working. I was a latchkey kid, uh, which means, you know, for those people that um, are from a younger generation that don't know what a latchkey kid is. It meant that that I would, you know, see myself off to school, come back, do all the chores, and you know, do everything by myself. Take care mm -hmm. of my siblings because mom and dad were always working. So it was really easy to gravitate towards a group of people that would celebrate me and celebrate my my knuckleheadedness, if that's a word, you know, um, by patting me on the back and cheering me on when I was doing dumb things, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of the area where where I, where I was raised. Uh, I my testimony. We'll get into that later. Uh, took me to Mexico where I was a fugitive on the run for about five years. 
uh, met my wife, got married, had kids, and then eventually wanted them to have a shot at the American dream. So I came back, but my my past caught up to me. But again, that's yeah. further down the line, the yeah, testimony. Yeah, now. and absolutely. So where do you want to begin? Because uh, I, I do want this to be as... Uh, uh, as raw as possible, our testimonials okay. are, um, you know, because there might be somebody out there that uh, is listening, struggling. that's struggling, and might yeah. hear this and might be encouraged in, in God's sovereign plan. So, uh, where where would you like to start out, uh, start off at uh, right now in your testimony, and we'll go from there. Let's start at the beginning. All right, let's do it. So, um, yeah, I'll just go back to what I was talking about in elementary school. I was just, you know. A really smart kid, chunky kid, bigger than, than 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 the average size kid. You know, I was big, dorky, you know, goofy, but really smart. You know, um, so much they gave me an IQ test, scored really high. They put me in in these gifted programs and sent me off to a magnet school in junior high uh, in East LA, and was do, doing really well, thriving. You know, outside of being bullied and punked by other kids. Um, that were intimidated by because I was smarter than them or got better grades than them. Mm. And I always just kind of wanted to fit in. Eh? Like, I, I just, I wanted to fit in. It didn't matter where. Back in my days, in the 80s, it was like cholos and surfers, and they'd, you know, they'd be going at it with each other. And um, I didn't really, I wasn't a cholo. I wasn't a surfer. I wasn't a stoner. You know, I just, I didn't fit in in any particular group. I just kind of wanted to belong to somebody. So one time I ended up getting into a fight in junior high school, and um, I got beat up. So I said, I'm never going to let myself get beat up again, especially by somebody smaller than me. So the next time somebody tried punking me, I ended up fighting back, and I, I demolished the kid, you know? Mm. And um, the other kids, I saw how, like, it, it really, like, it, it drew attention to me, you know what I mean? And I liked being the center of attention. I liked people liking me. So I started acting like a like a jackass in class i started acting like like a fool and 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 talking back to the teacher and and then i started being the bully you know and the more i did that the more attention it it drew to me and the more that i thrived and, and just loved that you know mm. um, and i say that because a lot of kids i know that they feel the same that like they just want to fit in somewhere mm. they just want to connect and and i see it happening even as adults when you see people acting out of character and act in certain ways when they're around certain groups of people people that you know, normally wouldn't drink or do drugs, but in order to be accepted without being peer pressured, they'll go ahead and, and succumb to that in order to, to fit in and be cool. You know, one of the cool kids. Yeah. Um, so as I, I became one of the cool kids, you know, all these, all these kids started, you know, they were in fights and stuff. And, and before I knew it, they were getting fight into fights with other guys. So I would, you know, jump in to help them and then they would get chased and, and I would run with them to help them. And these guys had gotten into a gang. So, people started coming after me thinking I was a part of the gang like them. So I figured why not get involved in the gang and make it worth it. And when that happened, it was like my life changed, you know, mm. it was like, I actually belong to something now. It, it, it was official. Like, like I belonged to them and, and these dudes had my back. Like they would fight for me. They would go to bat for me. Like they had my back. They wouldn't let nobody mess with me, you know? Um, and unfortunately, along with it came a bunch of baggage of, of illegal stuff and activities, you know, stealing cars and, and graffiti and vandalism and, 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 and drug sales and drug use. But as I started to get older, the, the crime started to get more and more severe. You know, mm. they were getting crazier and crazier. But I didn't care. I was being accepted. 
I was building up this facade of who I wanted to be and people were believing it. So the more they believed it, the more I felt I had to live up to that reputation and then take it up a notch and raise the bar and so on and so on. Um, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So I just wanted to just pause right here. And uh, uh, what is, cause uh, whoever's listening to here, we might have parents. Um, can you just go back and just uh, what you re- uh, can remember of what's going on in your family life uh, at this point? So it's really simple. It's, it's a classic, you know, story of immigrant parents where they're both working mm. to provide, but they're working so much that they're not really connected to me. Like me and my dad never had conversations outside of me getting yelled at, me getting disciplined for not having done my chores for having gotten a note from school for having talked too much and gotten, you know, a detention or something. And mom was too busy trying to be the responsible one because when dad would come out of work, he would go drink with his friends or go to the racetrack. Mm. So it's like he was there, but he wasn't there. Got it. Like, I I don't remember ever having gone to the movies. Okay, I could tell you on one hand, one finger, how many times we went out as a family to the movies. I'll never forget it. It was like, the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> that's very specific. Wow, that's what is that? Nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, and and that was it. I was like thirteen years old, you know. Wow, and wow. we would go out to eat every Friday. We would go out to eat dinner. You know, mom didn't want to cook. We would go out to eat dinner. Sometimes my dad was there. More often than not, he wasn't. But I don't have many memories of like hanging out with my dad. Got it. Let alone having conversations. So me and my kids, like when I would pick them up from school, I'd tell them, like, "How was your day? It was good." No, tell me about it. Mm. what do you mean like, like i want to know what happened first period what happened second period you know because i want them to know that it matters to me mm. i'm gonna just jump in the car and say oh it was good dad and eventually they just start opening up and sharing stuff with me that they probably wouldn't have if i wouldn't like probe deeper and mm-hmm. deeper and deeper you know so you are right now in your gang and you're you're you know at the limited time that you are spending with your family did they even know that you were part of a gang at all uh, they no. were first. They were they were first generation immigrants from Mexico, so they had no idea. They had no idea. Okay. I would lie to them, and they would believe whatever I said because they had no experience with gangs. Got you know? it. At least not the way gangs were, were were operating here in L.A. You know. Okay. So all right. So let's now continue on. You were saying that uh, as you're in high school, you join a gang, and you're doing uh, uh, petty crimes right now, but they're getting serious at this point. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming as you're getting older. So so why don't we start back up there? So it's actually junior high, right before I'm getting ready to go into high school, and I get arrested uh, for, I think it was a GTA, which is Grand Theft Auto, right, for having a stolen car. Uh, Went to jail. I mean, I started going to jail all the time, but it was always, I would get arrested, my parents would pick me up, and then go to court, but eventually the judge detained me. He got tired of me going before the court, Mm -hmm. and they kept me. They ended up giving me a year in county probation camp. Um, I did a year there. I got out for three and a half weeks. And then I got arrested for a fight for beating up a guy from another gang that I actually didn't beat him up, but I ended up going to jail for almost three years. Oh, you know? Wow. Um, yeah. They, they let me have it. So you were how now at this point, 17, 18? When I get out. Yeah. I was like two weeks shy of my 18th birthday. Oh, wow. wow. And you had served three years. Almost three years. Yeah. Oh, almost wow. So you got in there when you were 15 years old, 16. Right. Well, I went, I went into camp when I was 13. You went got into out camp. when I was 14. Got went it. back when I was 14. You know what I mean? Like, I got out right before I turned got 18. It. So 13, 14, like almost all my teenage years. Yeah. Um, 
from the time I got into the gang till right before I, ch- I became an adult were, with the exception of three and a half weeks, was oh. pretty much in jail. Awesome. I'm just trying to clarify the timeline just so that our yeah. listener knows. So you're, you get out, all right, you serve three years, just shy of your 18th birthday. What's uh-huh. going on right now is you, you're officially an adult. Yeah. So, um, I needed to have a diploma, right. But, um, I, I didn't go to high school. I mean, they would go to, we would go to school in there, but it's not the same as a, as a high school. So I took my, my GED, my good enough diploma, right. I mm. took my GED exam. <laughs> I think I scored like top two percentile in the United States, oh, wow. um, started going to junior college, but mostly for the girls than anything else. Uh, <laughs> and ended a, ended a really good job, uh, for the LA County superior court in their archives department, but that's because my juvenile record didn't show up. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I'm making up for lost time. I'm, I'm partying. I'm having fun. I'm getting more involved with gangs, starting to carry a gun now, um, you know, selling drugs, not so much to make money, just because it was in style. You know, the more money you had, uh, the more girls you had, the better car you had. The gang banging got more serious. It was no longer, you know, uh, fighting or jumping people. It, like there was like, guns involved now and, and everybody had a gun and everybody started shooting it, it takes a real man to stand in front of somebody and, and go toe to toe but anybody can just drive by and shoot you know mm-hmm. uh, and hope that they hit somebody so about six months later i got arrested for a murder a, a bunch of friends and myself were out one night drinking having fun at clubs and we ended up at a taco joint in the neighborhood um, get into a fight with rival gang members. Somebody pulls out an, uh, a, a gun. They shoot. Somebody dies. I'm there. I get arrested. And because you don't snitch, right? Snitches get stitches. So yeah. um, three of us got picked up. And I just, you know, bit my tongue. I don't know nothing. I didn't see nothing. So I, w- I ended up being in there for close to two years, uh, going back and forth to court, fighting the case until finally my homeboy that did it he copped to it and said I did it, and then they gave us a lesser charge and, and let us go. So you and knew that had been like two years already, you know. So you knew who did it, and you were just for the oh, yeah, I was there, you were there, and you were just like, yeah, oh, I was saying there. it, yeah. wow, wow, yeah. I don't know nothing. I was like one of the monkeys, I didn't see nothing, I yeah. didn't hear nothing, I'm not gonna say nothing, you know, yeah, yeah. And and as you know, as you get around the prison system, people get to know who you are. Um, there was, uh, um, you know, there's prison politics involved with the Mexican mafia and organized crime. And man, they just love preying on young dudes that are willing to raise their hands and do whatever needs to get done in there for recognition, uh, and to move up the chain of command, you know, and I I was that guy. I was that guy. I wanted to be known on Mars if possible, you know? So, so what does that look like? You're inside, right? You're, you're that guy. Uh, you're inside, there's gangs inside, you got uh, cartels, right, uh, inside as well, members of cartels. Yeah, not so much the cartel, it's more the mafia, man. Mas- mafia, okay, I'm sorry. It's, uh, more the Me- it's more the Mexican mafia. Mm-hmm. You have the Mexican mafia, and Nuestra Familia, the Black Guerrilla family, the Aryan Brotherhood, those those prison politics, those prison gangs. So you're in there, uh, you, you, you're no stranger to just being in a, that type of system, right? But mm-hmm. um, but this is now big boy level, right? Uh, this is not ju- yeah. this is not uh, juvenile, uh, you know, detention or anything like that. So you're young. You're like, hey, I'm here. How do you how do you start moving up? And you know, I'm assuming I can only assume, right? And you can educate me on this. Um, some of those things also is for your protection to make sure that 
you get inside uh because right i mean you got other other people that probably want to uh kill you or don't like you for whatever reason and you need to be involved in the gang to get protection because you can't be uh a loner in there is that correct yeah not not for me man it's like um i was never one of those guys you know where where I, I always ran with the in crowd in jail. So going from probation camp to the California Youth Authority, being in the county jail, like I had made a name for myself. So people knew who I was. Got it. So when I got to the prison, people already knew who I was. And people were there to greet me with a care package with food and cosmetics and the TV and stuff. So I, I blended right on in. Oh, wow. Um, so my, my reputation preceded me. So I was welcomed with open arms and, and, um, I didn't really have to raise my hand. They just assumed that I was ready to be a soldier and, and do things that needed to be done. And most of the Mexicans, so, and, and I'm not sure how it works in Texas, but in California, the Mexicans can be worse than the Crips and the Bloods, where the, the Sureños from Southern California wear a, a, a blue rag and claim 13, and the Northerners wear a red rag and claim 14, you know, and um, inside prison, they go to war. So the local gang stuff gets left behind and the Mexicans from the South will unite as one and the same thing up North. And then you get the racial stuff and it gets crazy, bro. Wow. It gets crazy. So yeah, I, I love being a part of it. That was an adrenaline, a drug in itself, being a part of stuff and getting away with it, you know, but I can look back now and even see how God had his hand on me, mm. how there were certain things that could have went down a certain way that I wouldn't have been able to walk away from. And yet I was able to, you know, um, and it, it spared it, me, you know, and uh, and I think you shared that with us on, on Saturday a little bit. Do you want to talk about that a little bit of that situation? So I, I'm not sure which one you're talking about exactly. Uh, but I think oh, I think you were saying that you saw this guy inside and, you know, you knew him. that was later on. That, that was, was later. On. OK. All right. Well, later. OK. So <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right. So I, I, I do my term, right? Okay. It's like two and a half years, get out. Uh, I'm out for like another six and a half months. Um, yeah, every time it was like six months, six months, you know? Wow. And I managed to, you know, I was really now working with the cartels, with the drug cartels from, from Mexico, from Sinaloa. When you were out, I, I, had, when, I had the best of both worlds. When you're you know? outside. When outside, you, yeah. Outside. outside. So now, now you're with the cartels working with now them. Now I'm working with them. I'm working... With, with the Mexican mafia, making money on both ends, just really loving the life, man. Like, yeah. like really loving the life. I was, I was being used for my gifts. I was a person who was respected. I was a person who was looked up to. I was a person who was feared, mm. but most importantly, I was a person that was, that was accepted, liked, and, and people wanted to be with me. Mm. You know, people wanted to be a part of the same group as me and run with me. And that was, that was really encouraging because that's what I had always wanted since I was a kid. I just, I wanted to belong, you know? So I, I finally belonged and I, and I belonged to crews that had lots of respect. And that was like an ultimate high for me. You know, did you work really hard to portray that image? To I worked really hard. I worked mm. really hard because deep down inside, I was a softie, mm. you know, deep, deep down inside. There's a there's a famous quote that 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 Scarface says. Tony Montana says in the movie Tony Scarface, <laughs> and, and I was able to connect with it so well. He said, "I never hurt. He never did somebody wrong who didn't have it coming. I never hurt somebody who didn't have it coming. Mm. You know, in other words, he never really he never hurt an innocent person. So, mm. 
the people I would associate with and hurt were people that were other gang members, other drug dealers, other, you know what I mean? Like, I never hurt an innocent person, if that makes any sense. That was yeah. my mindset. Yeah. And I tried to keep people, innocent people out of what I was doing. So I was a softy. I was always the kind of guy that I did something that needed to be done, but I wanted to try to give people the benefit of the doubt, mm. you know, and, and give them a way out. But as, as I'm out of jail now, I'm starting to work with the cartels, starting to do bigger and bigger things. And a friend reaches out to me and says he's got this big drug deal going on, but he needs me to be with them because he's scared he's going to get robbed. You know, mm. if you get jacked, you know, a lot of the dope that we would get was like fronted. It was on consignment. Like, here you go, take it, go sell it, come back and give us the money. And he was scared that he would get robbed, but he felt that if I was with him, people would know who I am and they wouldn't dare rob him. Mm. And he offered to pay me half of what he was going to make on it. And I was like, I don't got to do nothing. No, just just stand there so they'll see you with me. Mm. Bet, let's do it. Well, it turned out to be a setup. DEA was there. It was a major setup. So we got caught with like 35 pounds of methamphetamine, like almost $300,000 cash. Got into a shootout, not to hurt anybody. I was just trying to get away, you know. But I'm fat. There was no way I was going to get away. <laughs> I didn't get too far, and I was arrested. I got arrested. Uh, I got released by mistake three days later, and uh, I put on my quickest running shoes, and I fled to Mexico. Wow. The next morning, I was on Ellie's Most Wanted. Um, the cops were beating up my homeboys in the alleys, asking them where I was at. I was on my way to Sinaloa, where I stayed for about a year. Wow hating life because I didn't get involved with the cartels. I was, I was hiding, you know, I was working uh, my cousin's ranch, working in their meat market, just trying to right. stay low. Wow. You know? So you are in Mexico right now. I'm so in you're in C- Sinaloa. Um, so you're working at a ranch, right? And mm-hmm. how do you get back into the States? So I'm in Sinaloa for about a year. I got tired of the lifestyle. You know, I felt like one of my aunts was just treating me dirty because she felt like she could and I had nowhere else to go. So I eventually got upset. I just said, you know, I'm going back. Mm. So on my way back from Sinaloa, I'm on a bus and I stopped off in Sonora to call my mom and tell her I'm on my way back to turn myself in. She's like, you're crazy. Just go to Ensenada. We have family in Ensenada, which is in Baja, California, right? Mm. Just an hour and a half south of the border. And she goes, just go there and hang out there for, for a bit. Let's try to figure this out. So I, I went. And because it's a border town, like my English was really useful. I was able to get a job, get a better job. I got in school under an assumed identity. Um, ended up getting um, a, a bachelor's degree for business management, specializing in hotel administration. Because I happened to be working at one of the nicest beach resorts in, in Baja, California. So, um, so I'm, I'm closer to home. I'm sorry, go ahead. Hold on a second. <laughs> Hold on a second. I got to just stop it here. All right. So, so you get in, tr- you're, you're running from the law, go down to Mexico. All right. Then you're going in Baja California and then you go to school and get yourself a bachelor's degree in business management. What are you thinking at this point? Well, I, I was trying to reinvent myself. Got know, it. I had a okay. chance. I had a chance to start life over again. Wow. And I thought I'm never going to be able to go back to the United States. So right? you're, you're just like, I so need to change. I get a job. I mean, don't get me wrong. I started working off at flea bag motels where they charge by the hour, you know? Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, the Lord started opening up other doors. I started working as a front desk clerk at this beach resort. 
And then the owner and myself became really good friends and he saw something in me and gave me a chance. And I started working my way up. So I became the manager of the resort. Wow. Um, opportunities came up to go to school. They, they covered me. Um, I've always been good with words and, you know, people relations and skills and customer service and whatnot. Um, so now all the gifts that I had to the, for the streets, I'm now using them for legitimate business. Uh, I'm educated. I met my wife, you know, we had kids, you know, we got married, we had kids. Um, and, and life was, was good, but there was always something missing. Mm. You know, it's like life was good, but there was always something missing. And as we started having kids, and raising the family, I, I would look around at the parks, you know, no grass. I would look around at the schools where kids would go either the, the, the morning uh, schedule or the evening schedule. I mean, kids were going to school, coming out of school like at 10 o'clock at night. You know what I mean? You know, no such thing as, as lunch tickets in school, like, like none of that stuff. Kids having to work to help provide for the family. And I was like, man, my kids are, are they're American citizens because I'm an American citizen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so against everybody's counsel, I, I made an attempt to come back uh, on using my brother's uh, driver's license to come across the border. Because you're still and fugitive found, at this point, right? Still, I'm still one of fugitive. Mm-hmm. I'm still one of fugitive, but I figured, let me go back and let's, let me just test the waters out to see what's going on. I had a friend who's a Jewish lawyer, and he had, you know, run a make on me, and he said, you know, nothing comes up, et cetera, et cetera. He goes, but, you know, there can always be a sealed indictment. What is that? He explained it to me. And I said, I'm just going to take this chance, man. I just feel like I got to. It's been like five, six years already. Something's got to be cool. And I came back and I went to the DMV to request, you know, a duplicate of my ID. And I just kept waiting for somebody to tap me on the shoulder any minute, you know, and escort me out in cuffs. But nothing happened. Um, came back, would stay at my mom's house, got a job with a friend that I met in Mexico while I was on the run. Next thing you know, I went from like a hotel manager with a, a you know, business degree to doing environmental construction work where I was an environmental engineer doing uh, underground storage tank repair work and testing and compliance work for major oil companies. But I got bored, you know. Um, I'm around the old neighborhood again and the homies found out I was back and I start hanging out with them again and I would come visit my wife and the kids on the weekend and did that for almost a year and said, you know what, like, I can't have my wife and kids in one country and me in the other country and going back and forth on the weekends. Um, so I eventually brought them over, but it was to their detriment because as I brought them over, I started getting more involved with the homies again, with the gangs, but this time even bigger and deeper stuff than before with organized crime again, the Mexican mafia. Now I started doing drugs, things I didn't really do as a teenager and started getting hooked on them. I I got hooked on methamphetamine as I was selling it. Um, And life just, it got crazy. You know, I started just spiraling out of control, like, like sick out of control. To where my name was on the streets again, law enforcement found out I was back. And one day as I was at a construction site, we were just finishing up a gas station and I saw two detectives walking up to me. The minute I saw them, I knew they were there for me, you know, and they walked up and I had a different name in Mexico, right? So my name was Victoriano Mercado Guzman in Mexico. Wow. And uh, quick question about Mexico. How many years did you actually spend in Mexico during that time? Five. Five years. And did your wife know your past when you married her? Yes. Yes. 
She just said, did you kill somebody? I'm like, that's not why they're looking. She was, I just need to know if, if, if you haven't killed nobody, we can work. We can, we, we, we can work this out, you know? And I was like, yeah, you don't have to worry about that. You know, it was drugs and stuff like that. So, and I was a different person when she met me, you know, I was already working at the hotel. I was going to school. I was, I, I, I was, I wasn't the same person, but deep down at the same time, I guess I was the same person because the same sin that was there before still recited just in a different way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, with different triggers. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I came back and it got crazy and eventually they, my, my past caught up to me. Uh, the good thing for me, what though, was that um, the cops were dirty. So I was, I, I had to bail myself out in a half a million dollar bail. And as I'm going to court, um, the police wouldn't show up. They wouldn't show up. They wouldn't show up. I had a mafia lawyer who was like free of charge representing me. He's now in jail forever, never getting out. Um, got caught up for some other stuff. And um, the police wouldn't show up. They wouldn't show up. They wouldn't show up until finally the, the judge gave them an ultimatum. But they, they weren't there after lunch. They were going to drop the case with, um, what's it called? With What did they say? With, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the word. With um, Contempt of court. Word, with what? Contempt. No, 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 no. It was a word that they used um, that that once they dismissed the charges, they wouldn't be able to refile again. Right. Mm. What, he, what, what he was trying to say. So they kept calling the, the detectives, but they never showed up. Well, it turned out that they never reported any of the money that I got arrested with. Mm. So now that they, I mean, nobody ever thought that they would, I would go back to the United States. So when they caught me, if they went to court, then they would have to give an account of where the money was. So. I was happy that they took it, you know. And how much? Um, how much money was it that they took? Two hundred eighty-five thousand. Wow. And I think of the dope. There was like twenty-five pounds, and they only reported like eight. So there was seventeen pounds of methamphetamine that were missing a whole bunch of money. But when I got arrested, they found a gun and more dope in my car, so I had to answer up for that. Hmm. So they, they gave me sixteen months, which I did about a year. Um, it was rough on my wife, but it was a year. It wasn't that, that bad. And then just things kept spiraling out out of control. I got more and more involved with the Mexican mafia. I was doing more and more drugs. Cause you're back inside. Are people, do people recognize you again when you're back in that year? Oh, everybody knows who's back. Everybody knows exactly who's inside, what they're there for, how much time they got to do. And it's like, it was a little family reunion, but the difference was that now I had a wife and kids, Mm. you know? Um, so me calaba a little bit different. Like it, it hurt a different kind of way, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. I was no longer a, 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 a young buck who was single, mm-hmm. womanizing, like trying to live on top of the world. Like I actually had people that depended on me now, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, I get out. I, I'm, I'm getting even worse and worse and worse. Caught up, and then I ended up going back to jail for the stupidest thing ever. I had given them a dirty test, so I would get random urinalysis being on parole and I was hooked on meth. I, I couldn't get off of it. So I tested dirty. They sent me back in for like 90 days, I think. And while I was in there, I started reading the Bible. You know, there was nothing in myself. I started reading the Bible. I started like looking at it and it was uh, an old King James version, mm. you know? So I was like, this is stupid. Thee, thou, thine. Like what is like, who talks like that even, you know? <laughs> But but even that made made sense to me. You hear that, you KGV only people? <laughs> yeah. So, Just kidding, so I, 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 I was I was like, you know, this 
Like I felt the Lord speaking to me, but only when I needed him. Like I would pray as I walked into the courtroom. I would pray the night before I went to court, you know, but I didn't want anybody to know I had any kind of faith because people who are Christians were looked down upon. They were looked down upon as cowards, you know, like you would hide behind the Bible in order to not be involved with whatever was happening in, in the jail system. So, um, yeah, I, I get out, I, I go back for this dirty test. Things are getting really out of control. And then a lot of stuff starts going down. I'm now under a federal investigation that I had no, no idea about. But the local authorities really, really wanted me bad. So they raided my house in conjunction with like other law enforcement agencies. And I got arrested for possession of firearms, for sales, and even for bootleg clothing. Because I used to sell like bootleg coach purses and bootleg, <laughs> you know, um, jerseys. Wow. And you name it. Like I had yeah. my hand in everything. Ra- Raiders? Raiders uh, jerseys? or You name it. Every Mitchell and Ness. Like <laughs> oh, all man, kinds yeah. of. There you go. Mitchell Ness, Hardwood Classics, like all the all the OG jerseys. I had all the bootleg ones, but you couldn't tell. Yeah, that's so pretty, I went to jail that's for pretty, that. pretty profitable though, right? I'm thinking about the, the the time yeah. that this is going on. Something yeah, I would buy a, I would buy a purse for thirty bucks and flip it for one hundred and fifty. You know, wow. So on top of the drug sales and the yeah. and the 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 weapon sales and and all the other stuff that was going on, capitalism at its best. Yeah, man. So as I'm as I'm going to court fighting this, like they're trying to give me life again. They're trying wow. to give me life. They're trying to strike me out and that three strikes law, you know. And my lawyer, um, he manages to work something with the DA. And they said, look, if you give us five years right now, we'll sign it. We'll save you this time and money. So my lawyer said, well, I said, well, let's jump on it, you know, before they change their mind. So I ended up, you know, taking this five year deal. Um, in the midst of all this, I had been shot, you know, seven times. I'd been stabbed 18 times uh, over prison politics and, and, and racial riots and, and the jails. So this is the part that you were talking about. When I, when I get to this prison, I end up bumping into one of the guys who we had shot each other. He had me stabbed. I'd had him stabbed and it all had to do with prison politics. So, um, I thought that I was going to be the bigger guy. And, and when we go to the yard, I take out two knives and I'm like, pick one up and we're just going to go from the neck up, you know, me the best man win. But he was better than me. <laughs> he was like, actually, I already talked to the correctional officer and I told him that we're homeboys. So uh, come Saturday morning, we're going to move into the same cell. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. Finally, we're going to, we're going to get it on. And only one of us is going to walk out for breakfast on Sunday morning. And then I was like, oh, shoot, only one of us is going to walk out for breakfast on Sunday morning, you know? And, and it got me to thinking. And uh, at night when my celly was asleep, I got on my knees and I cried out to God. I said, hey, man, if, if you really exist the way I think you do, I need you to get me out of this situation. Because I don't want to kill nobody and I don't want to be killed. I just want to go home. I want to be normal. I want to be a square I want to have a nine to five job. I'll make minimum wage. I don't care. I just, if, if you exist the way I believe you do, I need you to get me out of this jam. Mm. And if you do, I will serve you all my days. The way I did the hood, the way I did the women and the drugs and the game, I will serve you. And the Friday night before we were supposed to have that cell move, there was an institutional race riot and they started moving prisoners around from different yards 
And I was one of them. Like the Lord literally physically removed me from that situation. And that day I picked up my Bible and I have not, I have not looked back since. Wow. Wow. So that was like November of 2008. Wow. So that happens. What, what are you thinking? Like, like, like you get removed from that. Like, are you, what, what is, what's your emotional state at this time? It was weird. Uh, one of the, one of the, one of the biggest challenges in my life as a Christian happened right then. I didn't know who I was anymore. Mm. I went through such an identity crisis that I didn't know who I was. Think about it. I was some lame fat kid who was a nerd that used to get bullied. And then I create this persona in my mind and I start to build up this facade of who I wanted the world to, to, to believe that I was. And, and the more people believed it, the more I grew on it and continued to excel and build it up further and stronger and solidify it. And then I finally get to be the guy I want to be. I'm like, I'm that guy. And then I have to flee to another country and take up a new identity and start to build that up all over again and remake myself like in a more in, in a better and a more improved version, you know. And, and then when I come back, I kind of have to assume the old identity again and forget about the new guy I had built up. But then when all that happens, like I'm, I'm trying to to fit into that facade again, and then it it, it grows even crazier. And then all of a sudden, I'm a Christian. And now it's like, well, what does that mean? I'm no longer tough. I'm no longer scary. Like people don't respect me no more. They're not. They're not afraid of me. I'm not a. I'm not a baller anymore. I'm not a dope dealer. Like, who am I? I remember writing a, a letter to my wife saying, "You know what? Um, I felt like a coward. Like, I felt like I had taken the coward's way out. Like, that's not what I was used to." And I remember telling her, writing her a letter, like, I don't know if I can protect you anymore, you know? And she said, you big dummy, that's the mo- that's the bravest thing you've ever done. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's to turn your back on the gangs and finally put me and the kids first, you know? And it was rough. It was rough. It was rough as I was trying to assimilate this, this identity in Christ. But as I would read the word, I would find out where my identity lied in you know ephesians 1 says that you know he knew me before the foundation of the earth yeah romans 8 28 that and we know that all things work together for those who love god and are called according to his purpose golden chain of redemption you know it's like it's like everything that that i was reading it's like the words would just jump out at me Mm. as as i was uh, dealing with things about enemies i was reading the psalms and seeing how david was running from his enemies and asking god kick their teeth in God, you know, yeah. <laughs> all, all, all these, all these things. And I was like, yeah, Lord, my enemies, you know, and, um, I find myself preaching to my wife and ministering to her. Um, but I was like, I was like a, a really broken Christian because I had so much damage, so much unhealth in my life, mm. but God had given me a time out just long enough to really be able to work on myself, to be a healthy Christian before I got out, you know? There was a ministry in there called Celebrate Recovery. Are you familiar with it? Yeah. Mm. So I don't agree with their theology, you know, but but overall the program works, man, to help to help you deal with your past hurts, mm. habits, and hangups, you know. So I was able to 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 self-examine myself. You know, Lamentations 340 says, let us examine our ways and test them, mm. and let us return to the Lord. So I was able to do that, to work on 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 all the damage I had done to 
make amends where, where possible and to restore relationships so that when I got out, I was a pretty healthy Christian. I had dealt with all my garbage already, you know? The, the problem I had now was convincing my family that, that I was really a Christian, you know, right. that it wasn't just prison talk, you know? Um, and, and my wife and I, we had a long time till we were trying to get to know each other again. I had to reconquer. I had to court her again, you know? Um, when I had went to jail, she was a submissive, you know, lady from Mexico who spoke no Spanish and would do whatever I said. And now when I got out, I was more submissive, not confrontational, and she was like, with her claws out ready to defend her kids and like to jump. And I was like, whoa, like, it's not even that kind of party. Like, I love you, you know? And, and it took some while, it took some time for us to, to get to know each other all over again. You know, he was a new guy. He was, yes, he was, he was a new husband. How, how did your gang brothers react to all this change? I mean, what was, what was the feedback you got? So I didn't really have much contact with Medium at the beginning. I'm starting to have more and more contact with them now. You know? But at that time, at that time when you made the switch? So a lot of people would talk bad about me, but they wouldn't say it to my face, you know? Um, and that was a challenge for me because to me it was like my ego, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but but the Lord was gracious with me and that he never put me in a situation to where I was tested, where I would, where I would fail and blow my witness. Mm -hmm. There were many times that I blew my witness, but not with that aspect of, of my pride, you know? Um But I think he did it so that I would still have a good a good standing with him, if that makes any sense. You right. know, there's very few people that can walk away from a gang and still have their respect or not want to be killed. And because of all the stuff that I had done, I guess a lot of people were like, just leave him alone. <laughs> we'll be all right. You know, don't 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 poke that bear. Déjalo en paz. Yeah. But I had never snitched on anybody. You know, I never testified against anybody. I just simply hung up the gloves and said, I'm done. You know, yeah. but. I knew who was talking about me because I'm still in the same neighborhoods, you know? So in prison, we play handball. Handball is a, is a common game played by Mexicans in prisons. Like, it's common. You'll see the blacks on the handball court. You'll see the Mexicans. I mean, the blacks on the basketball courts, the, the Mexicans on the handball courts. So when I got out of prison, I would go to the park here in the hood and, and play handball and, and talk to guys about Jesus, you know? But I would see some of my homeboys there, and when they'd see me, I'd walk up to them, and they'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 what's up, homie? I'm like, oh, this guy's been talking about me. He thinks that I know he's been talking about me. That's why he's stuttering. He's scared, you know? And now I just reach my hand out. Salud, saludaba. God bless you. Come to church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I've done a bunch of funerals for them now. Wow. Where the Lord has opened up the door for me to go back and preach the gospel explicitly to them. Wow. Call them to repentance, to trust in Christ. So that that is really amazing. So... Um, let's just, uh, let's, 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 uh, I guess we, we haven't got to the point, uh, yet, but, uh, you're out of prison. Uh, the Lord has changed your life. You've repaired your marriage as you, uh, begin dating your wife again. Um, I, I guess courting her again and just getting to know this new person, right? Because you're in Christ now and she doesn't know, uh, this guy probably, right? Mm -hmm. And, Does your so let's talk about your wife. She she doesn't know Christ right at this point. Actually, no, she did know Christ when I when I met her in Mexico. She was going to a Christian church, okay. and me being the macho Mexican cultural Catholic that I was, I pulled her out of that church. 
Okay. And when when I'm in prison, going back and forth, she had reached out to one of her coworkers who was a Christian, and said, "Hey, can you have your 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 friends, your church, pray for us?" And her friend invited her to church. Mm. So my wife went back went back to the Christian church, and just kind of like got fully immersed in in the church. And and I was okay with it because that that comforted me knowing my wife wasn't running around, wasn't messing around, but she was in church with the kids, you know. And when you're in prison, that, that brings you some comfort. When I got out, though, it was a different story because I'd have her hermanos and hermanas come into the house and eating up all our food. And they'd always be smiling at me. And I'm like, what are you laughing at, man? Like, you know, what, 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 why are you laughing at me? <laughs> but that's a part of my testimony, bro. When, when I became a Christian, I never forgot that stupid smile that these Christians had on their face, you know? <laughs> and I would ask the Lord, I would ask the Lord, like, hey, Lord, like, like I want that dumb smile. Like, like I want to know that like everything's okay. And I'll never forget in the prison yard one day we were walking around. And somebody said something dumb. And I was just smiling, and one of the brothers goes, "Hey, bro, you got it." And I was like, "What? What? What I got? I got a booger in my nose. Like, what? I, what do I got?" He's like, "You got that smile." And I was like, "I do, huh? I got that smile, huh?" And 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 later on, I would come to know it's just the, it's just the joy of the Lord, you know yeah. that. Wow. That I can be at peace, that everything could be falling around me, but I could trust knowing that that with Christ, everything's going to be okay. Amen. Wow. Because wow. he's my rock. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my, my wife was a Christian before me, you know? So, and, uh, and so she, so uh, the Lord got a hold of you. Um, did it take some time to convince her that you are truly a. Uh, uh, a son of God, you know, yeah. I believe like yeah. how, how, how are those conversations like in your house? It, it, it took a minute. It, it, my own kids didn't believe me. It took, mm. I want to say maybe a year, year and a half afterwards, they were still like, like, like I was still suspect. Like they weren't really sure. Like it's for real. <laughs> like they, they just couldn't believe that I had actually become a Christian, you know? Mm. Um, it's funny. Cause we were just having dinner with, with uh, an OPC pastor yesterday at, at his house. And um, we were telling the story about how, you know, we met and how we fell in love and got married and all that. And she was telling, my wife was telling his wife um, that when I was going to prison, that she would look around. The, we used to go to a little church in Compton where everything was a sin. Toda pecado, bro. Like women had to wear long dresses. They couldn't wear pants. They couldn't drink Coca-Cola. They couldn't go to the movies, you know, oh, wow, like yeah. all that stuff was a sin, you know. Very and, legalistic uh, church. Huh? Very legalistic church. Yeah, super legalistic, fundamentalist type church. And that she said that uh that she would look around and see families, you know, like the wives and the husbands, husbands playing with the kids, and she was like, like, Lord, give me a man of God. Like, I want to be in church with my family, you know. Mm. I-, I want my husband to be there by my side. I want my husband to to lead us in, in the word. And 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 it was funny because my my buddy's wife was like, um, the other pastor, she's like, But did you ever think that God would give you like a pastor for a husband? She was like, I know, I think I should have like been specific. Like he gave me two more of what I asked for, you know, now I have to share him with the church and other people. But she says that often when we, you know, I don't know about you guys, but you know, we have our ups and downs. And, yeah, um, of course. and she says that when, that when we're on the down, that, that she'll often say, Hey Lord, you know what? Like I forget sometimes just how far you brought us. Wow. You know, I can forget sometimes just, the amazing transformational work you've done in my family. So if I ever take my husband for granted, please remind me, you know? And, and the same goes for me when I can complain. It's like, man, I remember when I was in prison writing her letters, wow. trying to convince her not to leave me, you know? And 
and we're going to let this get in the way, you know? So how are you getting the calling here as we start wrapping this up here pretty soon? How do you get the calling to become a pastor, a reverend? Like where, where did that just desire and passion say, Hey, I want to go ahead and shepherd sheep here in the neighborhood, here in the area that I grew up. What's happening there? Yeah, so um, I was bad. I was like Jonah, bro. I ran as fast as I could in the opposite <laughs> <you know? laughs> I didn't want to be a pastor. Oh, uh, I didn't wow. want to be a church planter. Uh, at the church that, that the Lord drew us to when I got out, um, the the pastor there was just an amazing man of God. He's been my spiritual mentor and my, mm-hmm. my spiritual father. Discipled me. And um, his name is Eddie Aleman. Eddie Aleman, he is right now currently the general secretary for the entire Reformed Church in America amazing man of God. Mm-hmm. And um, while I was still on parole, because of my past, I was on high control parole, which meant that they had to check on me every single week, right? I was a special kind of, of parolee. Mm-hmm. While I was on parole, high control parole, he had me ordained and installed as an elder. Wow. Wow. So he tells a story about when, you know, he needed an elder and he would pray to God that the Lord kept drawing him to me. He was like, no, Lord, not him, not him. And that he would continue to pray and that the Lord would continue to draw him to me. And he was like, no, Lord, not him. Look at him, you know? And that he finally said, okay, let, let's see what God has. And he challenged me one day to plan a church. And I told him that he needed to get drug tested. I said, you, my friend, are smoking dope. I will never, ever be a pastor, let alone a church planter. Use me as an elder. Lean on me. I'll, I'll preach if you need me to, but I will never be a pastor. Wow. And about two years later, um, the church we were at invited me to come on pastoral staff. And I was like, okay, God, if this is what you're calling me to, then let me let me get prepared. Because my, my best thinking always got me in trouble. Um, I don't want to run from you. I told you I would serve you the rest of my days if you saved me and you did, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shortchange you. So I went to seminary to prepare myself. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you went to seminary, got your master's. Got my MDiv. I'm currently on my doctorate right now because I want to be able to teach other dudes how to plant churches in the hood. Wow. Wow. I mean, that is just amazing. And and one more thing. Tell tell us about your church. What does it look like? I mean, how how did you start? Like how many? How was it to to plan that church, and what does it look like now? And, and yeah, that yeah, what's, yeah, what's it? That's a challenging, right? Like, I mean, planning a a reformed church in yeah, the hood. Yeah, that, that yeah. to me, you know, when I when I saw you on Facebook, I'm like, how does he do it? Because you know, I I see the same neighborhoods here in Laredo, and yeah. it would blow me away to see a church like yours over there. How did you do it? How how were the people? I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit drew them, yeah. but how how was the process? So the people that we started with, our launch team, right? They were just people that I was discipling in my home. At at the previous church where I was at, um, I would see people come to church every Sunday, and that's it. They would check in on Sunday, check out. And I was like, man, what are people doing during the week? They wouldn't come to men's group, discipleship. Mm. I said, what if I opened up something in my home after church? You know, carnita asada, some tacos or something. There you go. There we go. Eli, the engineer, is shaking his head. Yes. And dig dig into something, you know. And uh, I had like a group of 15, 20 people. And we started doing that. We would get out of church. I lived in a parsonage across the street. So we would have like a potluck or we carne asada, whatever. And I think I took them the first time to like a really easy book. I think it was it was Francis Chan's Crazy Love, mm. you know? And, and then I took them through, um, what did I take them through? I took them through something else. Then I took them through, oh, then I took them through Multiply. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, David Platt right. and Chan yeah. multiply. And I told him that at the end, we would, we would multiply our groups. And we did. That group broke off into three groups. And then the next group, I said, okay, I think you guys need something deeper. So then I took them through like an introduction of Burkhoff's systematic theology. <laughs> you went through Justin Burkhoff's systematic. <laughs> yeah. And it started to blow their minds, bro. Oh, like, okay. like one of the, one of the, one of the times was like, is this some kind of cult? Because I've never heard of this stuff before. <laughs> you know? okay, listen, we got to park it here, right? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't want, I don't just, I don't want to just pass this over. Okay, you are doing systematic theology in the hood. In the hood, yeah. Because right, Doctor Raphael, we we've we've heard of churches right that don't want to get into the deep stuff. Oh, that's too deep. We just got to talk about God's love. Yeah, yeah they, they can't handle that. They can't. I'm li- listeners, listeners for our worldwide audience, and then you know specifically in the in the United States, you know, but it doesn't matter, right? You like sometimes we want to short change sheep right that they can't handle and instead of letting the holy spirit do this work right i i am blown away and i really appreciate you're just like you know what i'm gonna throw some meat and potatoes at these people but it doesn't stop there right yeah so 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 you do this what (laughs) how how are they taking this how are they taking system oh they're loving it They're, they're they're being challenged with the doctrine of election with you know god's sovereignty yet man is still responsible in some sense you know uh, what does that look like? Like what, perseverance of the same thing, like, you know, just basic stuff, like some yeah. of the more confrontational or, uh, or conflictive doctrines. And once we got past the part that we weren't a cult and this stuff was actually all biblical, you know, like they just, they couldn't get enough of it. Wow. So when we felt the Lord calling us to plant a church at the end of 2016, early 2017, um, it was natural. Like I'm going to invite people that I've been pouring into and discipling, you know, so um, when I said that we were going to leave the pen of church, like everybody, almost everybody who was there said, we want to come, you know? So we started with that group. And then shortly after coming into the city to plant, I figured, well, what if we take it up another notch? So I started having a Saturday study at the local coffee shop where we we're going through Calvin's Institutes. <laughs> and what's that study called? <laughs> no, no, that, this was Calvin's Institutes. Uh-huh. And then about a year after that, then I started the talk was in theology where I was taking the guys through Gerhard Boss's reform dogmatics. Wow. You know, we, we like, like, like you were saying, Abe, all too often we could think that people, they, they're not smart enough or it's, it's too much for them. Bro, people are hungry. Wow. And if all they're, uh, and if all they're being fed is, is candy, then they're going to have a sugar rush. But when the sugar rush wears down, what do they have? Nothing. Wow. You know, so, you know, we, we, we got to be able to teach them solid biblical truths. I mean, I've watered the language down. I don't, I don't water the message down okay. at all. Yeah. They got the message live and direct. But the language had to be, you know, changed around for them to understand. And then they started hearing key words and knowing what they are. And now I got these dudes talking about infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism. <laughs> superlapsarianism. <laughs> it's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, chill, bro. It's really not that big of a deal. And now they're in eschatology, and they're taking it and doing something with it. You know, we put together an evangelism conference uh, last year. It was right before COVID. Mm. It was uh, a Dutch reform guy, Mexican Dutch reform guy, myself, a black OP, a black PCA guy, and a Korean OPC guy. Wow. wow. And wow. we had about 150 people for a, a whole day Saturday talking about evangelism. Wow. You know. How do we take this dope theology and, and actually do something with it? Wow. You know? Wow. 
Wow, that I I'm I'm like I, blown away. I, I'm blown away, <laughs> so, uh, guys, and and I hope our listeners get encouraged, no matter where you're at. You know, uh, you know the the great commission that we were called we are called is to go make disciples, right? Go teach to all the nations, and then baptize, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, sometimes we forget that, and 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 the early church multiplied because of discipleship, you know, yep. doing what the Lord Jesus commanded as he ascending into heaven. And, 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 and I don't think we got to make it that complicated. God has given us a simple task to do, make disciples, teach and go baptize. You know, I, I, I saw something really funny today, which was, uh, it was kind of sad. And, and I don't know what you guys think about this before, bef before we start landing this plane. Um, the the band the Foo Fighters right is playing in Kansas okay and you got a you got a a legalistic church you know just saying some really mean things with signs you know and they decide that they're gonna troll them so the you know David Grohl and the Foo Fighters they get on the back of this trailer and start playing BG music in front of these people that are outside and I was like. I was like, you guys are spending all this time, and I'm looking at the church, and and, and I was like, where is disciple making in that? Reaching out to them, you know, you know, and just being hurtful, you know. Yes, we're we're called to truth, but mm -hmm. I was I was really sad about that because I just I'm just like, you're you're spending that time. Are we really out there making disciples? Are you making yeah. disciples or? Because I don't think. You know, I'm not trying to get all crazy here about it, but you know, we weren't we're not called to go sit on a on a corner, you know, and hold up sign and attack people. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess that there can be a time and a place for doing something like that. You know, uh, you know, if abortion clinics and, and and stuff like that. That you know, uh, that that there's a place, but man, like for a band, you know, like go make disciples, go spend your time. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting off on uh, off on the tangent here, but but uh, man, uh, Reverend, you know we do like to end the show uh, here with our guests uh, sharing the gospel. Um, and before we close the show, can you please share the gospel, el evangelio, um, to our worldwide audience? Yeah, so I mean, the gospel is that that God is good and that He created the world perfectly. Uh, man decided to go against Him, broke His law, and sinned. And because God is a just God, somebody must pay for those crimes committed against the holy God. And none of us would ever be able to pay those fines. God is so good, in fact, that while we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Christ came into the very world He created, lived the perfect life we never could. He died a death that was meant for us so that if any of us would put our faith in him and in him alone, his righteousness would become ours. So that when we stand before God, right, because we are guilty, yeah. right, his righteousness would cover our sins and we would be part of God's family. The, the gospel is a good news, right, that, that Christ came to save sinners like us, without which we would be eternally damned. Uh, people like to play up God, you know, God is love, God is love. Yeah, but God is also wrath. Yeah. But the good news is not good news without the bad news. And, and we're not here to tickle people's ears, you know. Um, if, if people don't know they're sick, they don't know that they need uh, a medicine for, or a cure, right, for their sickness. 
And I'll leave it there because I don't want that to start an argument between you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you, you heard that. Hey, <laughs> it, it, before before we go on, amen. What, amen. What what's next for for Reformed Church of Los Angeles mm. of Los Angeles? What what is coming up? Are you multiplying? Are people growing? What what's next? Yeah. So we we planted approximately three and a half years ago. We've got three separate groups of men that we're currently training and preparing for to plant churches. Uh, we have RCIE, Reformed Church in the Inland Empire, where we'll be planting a church sometime by the end of next year in San Bernardino, which is the hood of the Inland Empire. Uh, mm -hmm. we got another group of guys that we will be planting RCOC, the Reformed Church of Orange County in Santa Ana, which is the hood in Orange County. Uh, they'll be probably launching early 2023. And we've also got a family in Phoenix who we are preparing to launch RCAZ. Uh, in Northwest Phoenix in the hood there. So the Lord uh, is drawing people to us who have the same mindset to plant healthy, confessionally reformed churches in the hood. And that's what we're trying to do. Wow. With no money and no people, you know? Uh, that you don't wow. Do, do you guys ever have like conferences for church planning and ev evangelism open to people from other churches? And man, I'd, I'd get on a plane and get over there. Yeah, so I was talking to my buddy about our next evangelism conference, which we'll probably be doing, um, you know, if everything uh, uh, is okay with the, the laws and gathering and whatnot, um, either the end of January, or the beginning of February, to do our next, it was called the Word on the Street, you know, like the Word on the Street is, and, you know, to share the gospel. So we'll probably be doing that again, uh, end of January, beginning of February uh, for evangelism of next year. Would love to have you guys come out. Awesome. Oh, that, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, I, it, yeah, I, I want to head out to... I want to head out to California. I mean, I lived in Redondo Beach for several years um, uh, when I, in my early 20s. Uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, but, yeah, I would love to come out there, visit, visit you. I do want to visit Grace to you. I want to be able to hear MacArthur. Uh, he's getting up there in age, but that's one of, one of my bucket lists. But, but uh, Reverend, where can people find you if you want to be found? Um Where can taco you... <laughs> <laughs> Which taco stands? Because uh, we got to make sure that if our... Dos Poblanos. There you go. Dos, Dos Poblanos. Dos Poblanos. Yes, there you go. So if you want to well, I mean, catch... They, where... they, can, they, can find, they can find our church at, you know, reformchurch.la. Um, I write a, uh, a church planting blog because one of my homies in seminary was like, dude, like, so much stuff happened. You got to write a book. I'm like, bro, I don't got time to write a book right now, you know? So the idea came to me to write a blog because I can blog like once a month or something without mm -hmm. it being too. So I, I, I write a blog. It's called urbanchurchplanting.blog, you know, urbanchurchplanting.blog in which I document part of our, of our, our, our church planting journey, you know, mm -hmm. um, some background info, some, a lot of our struggles, you know, like it's a place where I've been able to just share what's on my heart with some of the struggles and trials that we've had to be able to let other people know that they're not alone in their struggles, church planting. Um, yeah, man, that's, that's kind of where they can find us at. For Facebook, me. Instagram, your yeah, church has a uh, Facebook, right? Yeah. Facebook is reformed church of Los Angeles. My, my personal one is just, just Rudy Rubio uh, on Instagram. I changed my name. Hang on. When I added my pronouns, it, uh, <laughs> so when you guys ask me about my pronouns, please. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was it? Ask me about my pronouns. Oh, yeah. tell us about your, your pronouns. pronouns. Yeah, there's pronouns: red slash s slash vato slash homie <laughs> slash boom. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because you know how people nowadays will put like their pronouns right there, like yeah, for Zoom right. calls right here. It's right. like, come on, you're a Christian. What do you mean you're putting your pronouns, you know? So I said, you want to put my pronouns? There you go. Rev, ese vato, homie, or fool, you know? <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. Well, Man, you got to come visit us yeah. on the border. I mean, that we, we got to talk about yeah. that in the future. Yeah. Well, yeah. well uh, Reverend Ru- Rudy Rubio, thank you for coming on to Bridge Radio and sharing your testimony. Uh, I think our listeners will be absolutely blessed, and we hope that God uses this testimonial to for his glory, always for his glory, yeah. not, not for our story. glory. This is never, uh, for our listeners, you know, this is not about me. This is not about Bridge. This is not about Dr. Raphael. This is not about you. It's about bringing glory to him and what Amen. he's done for us on the cross as you just shared the gospel. And despite ourselves, right, our, ourselves who are fallen, that uh, he will he will make his name famous amongst all people. Amen. And, and, and we're happy about that. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, you need to come back on. If you decide to write a book, you know, that would be awesome. If, you know, if God moves you to do that, we got some connection. Maybe we can... Uh, Get you get you some publishers in there because we you know I'm sure would be love to love to publish your book but uh, thank you again Sounds for coming good. on. Sounds thank good. So God be with you guys. You continue to exalt the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Oh, thank Amen. You. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes this week's episode with Reverend Rudy Rubio, pastor of Reformed Church of Los Angeles. Uh, Dr. Raphael, what did you just? <laughs> I, I like I'm still kind of I'm just still kind of just shocked how God just moves the pieces a time for his elect. Man, if if someone had a question about a grace, I mean getting shot so many times, stabbed Stab. so many times, so many times in jail from H what did he say? 13, 14? 13, yeah. And in and out, in and out, and he made it and you know, you could see the hand of God just going out there and picking him out. I yeah. mean, there, there's no other word for this but the yeah. grace and mercy of God. And not only that, not only to save him, but to take him to the ministry, to take him out to the streets where he did all that yeah. life. Yeah. And now doing, you know, sharing the gospel with people, discipling people, and planting churches. Yeah. I mean, and, and bringing the, the true word of God with strong theology. Yes. I mean, he he's raising some really strong man of yeah. God in those neighborhoods. Yeah. That, that, that we may be fearless and bold like he is and, 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 and say, hey, I'm going to go back to the place where I cause this trouble. And I, God has his sheep there. God has his people there. And God is putting him in that place to draw his elect, mm-hmm. wherever they might be. We don't know who they are, but he's there, right? And he's planting churches in uh, uh, in Los Angeles, Orange County, Arizona. And, and he's going, he's going down where all the nonsense is happening, the gang banging, just the bad part of town, dr- drugs, and saying, hey, this is where God is. God put me in, 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 in just amazing. I, I he's, love. He's I, the real thing. He yeah. is the real thing. I mean, you guys got to listen to the next podcast in Spanish. Yeah, Don't he's miss gonna, it. Yeah, he, he's going to be doing one in Spanish, and we'll be releasing that soon. So, Share uh, it. if if you guys have Spanish speaking uh, uh, family members, that you know, uh, that'll be out pretty soon. But uh, yeah, we uh, 
you know, I mean, I, I'm just kind of just uh, absolutely just uh, just floored right now. Well, you know, and, you know, the other thing, uh, he not only answered the call, but he said, hey, I've got a testimony, but I got to get ready. Yeah, I got I got to go to school. Yeah. And I'm not going to stop. So so the guy prepared himself and because you want to be solid and bring truth. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate it when he's like, hey, I'm I'm giving these I'm going to give these people solid theology. I want to go through. He went through the Institute, uh, uh, Berghoff, the Systematic, Systematic Theology. Theology. And he's like, hey, man, I didn't water down the truth. You know, he's like, I changed the word here for them to understand. But this is meats and potatoes. And I really appreciate that. And, and, and guys, doesn't matter that Christ can do anything. Doesn't matter your education level, your, you know, where you're at, how much money. That, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. God, God has transformed people, and and if He's not an evidence of that, you know, like this, this is—I mean, you guys heard it. This guy, and God is using him, and He's going to use people in the hood to make disciples and plant more churches, right? And the true, the the true gospel is going to be spread, and we and and, and we're we're excited for him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to follow us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, we have a lot of just content just being released and hopefully uh, we'll continue to get these podcasts in English on a more regular basis. Uh, so just stick around and just be patient with us. And like we always like to end the show, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Till next week. Till the next time. Till the next time.